So I think Twitter, unlike Instagram, is not a thing that you can just sell your account and for it to be successful. That's my personal opinion. So for me, it was never about, and it still never is about monetizing for me personally. I, I see it as I'm building a personal brand and personal leverage for future objectives versus I'm monetizing in the short term. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talked to Chris Hladzik. Chris just graduated from Yale and is killing it on Twitter. He gained over 50,000 followers from scratch in a little over a year. In this episode, you'll learn how to get on people's radar and what you have to do to see massive growth on Twitter. We also talk about Chris's writing process and how he churns out one or two great threads a week. My name is Unique, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Yeah, Yannick, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this conversation. But yeah, so I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. I grew up, went to like an all-guys Catholic high school, and I got recruited to play uh, lacrosse at Yale University. So I spent the last four years playing lacrosse there. And I also kind of the other main thing I did on campus was I hosted fireside chats for a group called the Yale Entrepreneurial Society. So the podcast I hosted we're called the Eli Speaker Series, where we had a bunch of entrepreneurs and investors that I got to interview, like Emmett Shear, the CEO of Twitch, or Michael Seibel of Y Combinator. And that was great for me, great experience. In terms of the Twitter stuff of how we met, I started officially on Twitter a little over a year ago, and it's just been a great tool for me to meet really cool people, kind of get better at writing, meet cool people, kind of hang out on the edges of the internet a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of the quick story for me. I uh, just graduated from Yale and I'm, I moved to New York City. So I'm excited to talk today. Congrats. So here in the Netherlands, it's a little bit different. We don't have like these sporting schools. We only have like a couple, but in the States, it's pretty big. So if you're pretty good at sports, you also get the chance to, you know, join a great school. And that's what happened to you, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It was a good opportunity for me. It, sports teaches you a lot. So I definitely learned a lot from it. COVID a little different though, because our season ended up getting canceled the past year or two. So that was different, but kind of forces you to kind of, you know, COVID like everything with has been said about it, it kind of forces you to step back and be like, kind of what is important to me in terms of like what I want to pursue in the future. So though sports was like the number one thing in my life for a while, it kind of forced me to kind of reevaluate. And that's kind of where I found the Twitter stuff too. Halfway through the season last year, that's also when you started your Twitter account it was in June, 2020. Yeah, so our season got canceled in March. And so we got sent home. And I was used to, you know, for those who don't know, lacrosse seasons in the spring. So it goes from like February through late May into early June. So I was home since March 2020, kind of was, you know, learning some stuff and trying to like figure out what I wanted to do next, because I knew sports weren't going to be an option till at least next season. The way I got into Twitter, actually, I watched a YouTube video, How to Crush It on Twitter from Matthew Kobach and David Perel who are like classics kind of writers and Twitter people. And I was like, wow, this is amazing in terms of like building your own personal brand, which, you know, sounds corny even talking about that. But like for me, from my perspective, but I'm like, wow, you know, this is a way for you to learn. This is a way to meet people. And, and I just kind of jumped off the deep end and started in June. And it's been a crazy ride. And what made you think, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're your season got canceled, but you could also be like, uh, I'll, I'll just wait another six months and just hop on the, the sports thing again. Why did you leave that behind? During this time, I was still training for my sport, expecting there to be a, another season this past year, which unfortunately it wasn't. So it's not like I just didn't, you know, I didn't have any sort of sports anymore. I was still expecting. 
But I think the difference is like everything that you do day to day, whether it be going out to see friends, going to restaurants, hanging out with people, taking your classes, you know, in person, without having any of that, I just had so much more free time and open space. And with that free time and open space, it was like, this was kind of a natural thing to fill the void. It was either play video games and do nothing or try to like tweet and try to figure out and learn stuff. And I was like, might as well learn some stuff and have some fun along the way. So that's kind of what pushed me there. It was more of an absence of anything else to do is kind of what got me there initially. I was just going to ask, I'm going to play video games, but you chose the the good path. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so how did you stumble upon Burrell and Matthew Kobach's video? How did you land there? So even like before I started my own account in June 2020, for at least a year or two, I had been like an avid consumer of content. So I'd found people like I was on Twitter, I deleted my old account. But like, I followed a bunch of people like Paul Graham and Sam Altman, who I read all their essays. And I was like, wow, these are really interesting people. And just like thinkers. And then I found David Prell. And I forget how I found him. I read a bunch of his essays. And then I found people through that. So I think it was an organic process where I'd found Matthew Kobach, and I found his account. And then they were like, wow, we released this video. And this is great. So like, it was an organic process of just consuming and having no, like, I had no clue that like people were like creators. I didn't even know what that was. Like, what's this creator thing? Like you just tweet and like do different stuff like that. So I was just in the dark, but I said, oh, wow, this could be interesting. And I think YouTube and Twitter are like great. The way I think about it is it's like a great way to like expose you to go down a rabbit hole. So like you see a tweet from Matthew Kobach. And then you click on his profile, you scroll through something else, you might click on a link, and then you're in 10 minutes, you're 10 steps away from where you were, and you don't even remember how you started. But then you're down this rabbit hole. And then that allows you to go down another rabbit hole to learn more stuff. So I think that's like the initial entry point isn't as important, as long as you're focused on your inputs to get there, because eventually you're going to find rabbit holes and find what interests you. So I think that's how it happened for me. And when did you decide to you know, create your own account again, or create a new account? So I watched the video in like April or May. And originally I thought, oh, wait, it might be like cool to do like an anonymous account. And then the reason why I chose not to do that is because I had been a huge Naval fan, kind of like everyone on Twitter. Like that is like kind of the God of Twitter. Like he's so, you know, pithy and smart and, and has a lot of wisdom. And after reading his How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky thread like 10 times, he talks about this personal accountability and building leverage with your own name. And if you don't tie it to your own name, that you don't have that leverage for anything you want to do in the future. So I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to do anything, I need to use my own name and leverage that. So that's kind of the reason why I, in terms of the fork in the road of pseudonymous or anonymous account versus my own personal name. So that's why I went with that. And then from there, it was, I tried a lot of different things and I kind of landed on, okay, this is something I want to try. Because the way I subscribe to it, I'm also a huge fan of Tim Ferriss, which I think half the world is at this point. But what strikes me about kind of the way he approached uh, starting his podcast is he said, I'm going to do six episodes. That's all he committed to. I'm not going to commit to tweeting for a year. I'm, for In his case, I'm not going to commit to doing 100 episodes. He's going to do six of them with friends that he enjoyed talking to. And then from there, he's going to reassess. Was it successful? What does success look like? And for me, I did the same process with Twitter. I said, I know it's going to be really hard in the beginning because you're tweeting into the void. You have zero likes. You're getting zero likes. You have zero followers. It's really hard. So I committed to doing it for a few months to assess then, is this worth it? Am I meeting cool people? Am I like getting smarter? Am I learning? So that's how I thought about like the approach of how to start. It's interesting. It's also you know, an interesting 
I guess the way you look at it is, so you decided to use your own name. And I've spoken to many people who are anonymous on Twitter or semi-anonymous. And they have like the perspective that, you know, they can be a different person. They can tweet whatever they want. They won't get into trouble at their work with their employer. They can probably even sell their account more easily. Just, you know, all their assets they created here. Here is a pay a lump sum and I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to do something else. And you chose the other path, which I think is an interesting choice. Yeah, I would say with the, the selling the account stuff, I would disagree with their idea that they can just sell the account because Twitter is a very intimate platform and in that like, if I, someone else took over my account today and just started tweeting from Chris Alad or Chris Aladzik or whatever, it's so obvious within a week that it's not me if you follow any of my content. So I think Twitter, unlike Instagram, is not a thing that you can just sell your account and for it to be successful. That's my personal opinion. So for me, it was never about, and it still never is about monetizing for me personally. I, I see it as I'm building a personal brand and personal leverage for future objectives versus I'm monetizing in the short term. So I try to think in like long-term, like decades, like how do I want to think about this account or, or what I'm building over the next 10 years and not really about like making a quick buck and selling it or whatever now or something like that. I know and like I respect people that have the other approach, but um, it's just kind of the way I've thought about it. Yeah, it's an interesting angle. I think I'm in like two different worlds. I'm also in like the world where people just hire ghostwriters, they get great engagement on their tweet, like tweets, everything is like more on autopilot, they plug their courses, you know, they, they make a living through that side. But that's also one of the reasons I have personal account is, yeah, I don't really look at myself as having a personal brand, but I do think it's important, you know, for our business, you know, we are in the Twitter sphere, it's, it's important for people to know us. And you know, that's one of the reasons I do it versus, you know, Having having maybe something which is more liquid, which you know you could one day say, "Hey, I'm just gonna quit Twitter and still, you know, have something I can sell or you know that that makes money for me." Or yeah, it's just a different approach. Yeah, that makes sense, and I think it's different goals depending on on what you want to do. For me, I've had to change the way I've approached Twitter. So the past year, I've had a lot more free time being a college student with no sports, as I mentioned, it being canceled. Versus the past month or two, I've started a full time job. And that introduces a way different level of like the amount of free time I have versus what I had previously. What I realized before is like Twitter for me needs to be something where I get energy from it and I'm looking forward to creating the content because it's really easy to get in this mode where you're like the algorithm rewards, you know, your listeners know this, but the algorithm rewards consistency, rewards, you know, the more you tweet, the better that creates some sort of treadmill that you're always like creating content and you feel like you can never take a break. And for me as someone where my free time is more valuable now that it's more limited, I think about what thread or one to two threads a week can I create that are actually fun for me to make and that I think will actually be valuable. And like if I get some extra followers, that's great. But I'm optimizing for relationships now instead of followers, which I think is a, a shift that I've had over time. I'm happy to talk more about that too. Yeah, I experienced that myself as well. You know, I'm also there, I sometimes don't know what to choose, you know, am I going to just tweet, you know, okay tweets, which will get a little bit of engagement, but at least I'm out there versus really digging into a subject, creating, I don't know, like a 50 tweet long thread, uh, spending hours and hours on it, and knowing that will get me, you know, 
a lot more exposure, maybe more followers, but at least a lot of people, you know, I've, I've been promoting email lists because of, you know, threads and you've probably seen the same thing, you know, when some of your threads exploded, you've probably gotten maybe some media coverage or some stuff like that. It's a totally different approach. And that's also, I think there are like two ways to position yourself. You can just be the, the cool guy who tweets, you know, great single tweets like I I guess like Naval does most of the time and sometimes he does you know maybe a couple of threads about meditation or the the get rich stuff Uh, versus people like you and like Blake and Dave Burrell you know they tweet less but they really go deep into a subject and yeah it also attracts certain types of audiences I guess. Yeah to the point of the Naval stuff I've wrestled with this a little bit throughout my journey. I think the weakest part of my Twitter is that I'm not great at least the way i think about it i'm not very good at like single tweets because sometimes i don't know exactly like my content creation like flywheel or strategy or funnel around creating a single tweet is not as refined as is around creating a thread therefore the final product i think aren't as good so the way i think about like naval's twitter versus like someone like me or whatever like naval has built a lot of really cool things in the real world and he Through building that and through his investing, he's built this credibility for himself outside of Twitter. So it's easy for Naval to tweet a one-line pithy quote that a million people are going to retweet. I tweet the same thing and people don't. And that's okay. People use this as like a, oh, it's, you know, Naval can tweet whatever he wants. The reason why is because he's proved it in the real world. For me, I come in with a lot of humility. I just graduated from college. I haven't done anything extraordinary in this world that Naval has. So I can't go out and just put out a pithy one-liner and expect people to have the same reaction because they're reading it through the lens of what is this person's experiences and how can they provide value? So I think about, for me, the threads are, can I tell a great story? Can I make something super simple for you to understand? And that's things that I can do without the credibility of building an angel list or something as ginormous as he has. So that's kind of how I think about the trade-off. And because of that, the individual tweets for me sometimes can be more difficult to create. That's a very good angle. So let's dig in a little bit on how you started your account, like how it was like the first couple of days, weeks, you know, how you struggled and how you found your voice or your mode to, you know, create great content and get a lot of engagement. Yeah, the first month was horrible. I literally remember it was so tough because you go in with these expectations. And for me, I've never like created content on other platforms. So I'm definitely a rookie or a novice compared to that. But like, say I put up an Instagram picture, it's all my friends from real life. And they're going to like the picture because, you know, it's my friends. But when you put out a tweet, you could have 500 followers and getting zero likes on every tweet is normal or like one like or two likes. And you just see it. And it's like demoralizing because you put a lot of time and effort in. And it's just like, okay, I'm getting one like, okay, you know, I've literally watched every single course or book. I like went really, when I get into something, I get like pretty obsessed about it. So I was like, how can I, you know, improve? How can I optimize? How can I get better? And the end of the day, it's literally just like, you're terrible. It's people don't like it one, because no one can see it. And two, because you're not good yet. It takes reps of like actually quality reps to like craft a good story. And I think it took me eight, nine months. We could talk about my experience uh, apprenticing for Sean Peary, which I think was pretty formative for me as well. So yeah, that was, uh, it's tough. And like for anyone out there listening, like I've literally been there when it's zero followers and it is the worst. Cause like you're putting all this time and effort and you feel like no one's kind of seeing it. And there is, I think like when you can get to the other side, there are a lot of returns. 
but it's hard to see it when you're, you know, struggling daily to get even a like or two on your stuff. Yeah, I bet. And so how was it the first month? How did you get your first followers? How did you connect with like the first couple of people? Yeah. So what I did, I watched something and they were like, you know, DMs are really important, which I think is kind of a cliche at this point. Because what you can do when you have like no followers is you can DM people that are a little bit bigger than you or, or much bigger than you. And maybe they can give you a piece of advice or they can, you know, talk about, you know, their experiences, uh, kind of like I'm talking about with this podcast. But I had a reply to an Elon tweet, I think like in my first month that got me like 100 or 200 followers because it like got a bunch of likes relative. So that was kind of like my first lucky bounce, I would say. Nice. So I'd say that was like the first thing. I also experimented with some other things. And I haven't really talked about this publicly, but I ran a little series called Founder Focus, which basically was me saying, okay, a podcast like this long form podcast is tough to get people to listen to it. So why don't I do short form? I zig when everyone else zags and do like short form interviews where like they can literally answer in a tweet in DMs. So I literally had three, you know, it'd be like, ask like actually interesting questions. And that like in three tweets, I would, you know, tag the person and show their responses. So I did that for a month or two that didn't do very well. It did okay, but it was kind of like another attempt. So I think kind of the lesson here is you need to try different things and like doing what everyone else does isn't going to get you outstanding results. Because if you do what everyone does, you're going to be average because that's the average what everyone does. But if you do something that's a bit different, you have the potential to, to have different results. So that's how I think about it, especially today too, when a lot of people are doing threads and a lot of people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon of strategies that worked. And those like arbitrages in the market are going to get eventually pushed out because if everyone does something, it's not going to be as successful. So that's a little bit about, you know, happy to dive more into stuff too. And so, hey, you tried a bunch of stuff, you know, you commented on bigger accounts uh, that got you your first couple of hundred tweets. How did you end your first month? You know, how was your, your mindset? How were you thinking about Twitter? Were you going to quit or, you know, keep going? I'm stubborn. I don't quit. It's hard for me to quit. So like, it's so easy in the first like few months to quit, I would say. And like my growth trajectory, just so the listeners and you can get a feel for it, it was like four months, it took me to get like a 1000 followers, another three or four months to get to like 5000 followers, you know, another few months to get to like, and then one thread got me to like 17k and then another four months now I'm at, you know, in the mid 50s. But like, it is an exponential growth curve that like, as many times as someone can tell you, and I, you've all heard it before, this is something exponential. It feeds on itself until you actually experience it. It's impossible to like understand it. So I'm happy to talk in kind of like different milestones and how I got there. But the first few months, I was stuck at a few hundred max. So I didn't have this like lightning growth kind of to start. Yeah, were you already doing the threads back then or was it just a, the single tweets? Or Yeah, so I, I was pretty thread heavy from the start. Something I did really early on that I think was semi-effective was I would write threads of like podcasts I listened to. So it'd be like, okay, I listened to this podcast with Pomp and Sean Purry from last summer, which I remember is kind of how I actually got connected with Sean. I wrote a thread about them and it doesn't do very well. All It's all relative, but it doesn't do very well. Maybe 10 likes, 15 likes, but that's better than one like or zero, which I was getting before. So I kind of think about that in terms of like the threads have an ability to broadcast it potentially to an, a broader audience if like someone who was an interviewee or interviewer on the podcast wants to promote their own podcast you know they might retweet it or like it or comment something like that so that's another strategy i did early on yeah and i guess the bigger picture was you know the connection you got with sean 
Yeah, I'm happy to dive into that now if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. So I actually listened to the episode that Sean talks about it on the, the Million Dollar podcast he has. He mentioned it briefly, but he he bumped into you on Twitter and, you know, you basically did an apprenticeship for him. I don't know what the exact in and out, so I'm interested in hearing from you. Definitely. Yeah. So the full backstory is back in like when I started my account, just like I mentioned, I wrote a thread on uh, Sean on Pomp's podcast, like the Pomp podcast. And I sent it to him. I was like, Hey, like you might like this. You know, I really enjoyed your lessons on whatever. I don't remember the exact exchange. He was like, Oh, cool. Thanks for writing this kind of thing. And that was the first contact. And this was back when Sean had 20,000 followers, nothing to the size he is at now. And then the next touch point I had is I interviewed his boss because he sold his last company to Twitch. So I interviewed Emmett Shear, uh, the CEO of Twitch. And I said, Hey, Sean, like, do you have any questions I should ask him? Which pro tip, that's a good way to like, you know, get in front of someone's radar for people listening. And he gave me a really good question. So I asked that I mentioned, Hey, Sean at, you know, Sean Puri. And that was another way. And I said, Hey, wanted to send this podcast to you because your question got asked. So it was another touch point. And then I think the third or fourth touch point was when Sam Parr, his co-host of My First Million, who's the owner of The Hustle, the newsletter company, said, hey, guys, like Sean went from 30 to 100,000 followers in two months. How the heck did he do this? Like, and I literally like, I'm that nerd who's going to figure out why and like tell everyone kind of thing. So literally in an hour, I wrote that thread and put it out there. And, you know, it got like 100 or 200 likes, which was great for me at that point. But I literally replied to that chain and said, hey, Sean, hey, Sam, I found the reasons why here it is. And from that, Sean actually reached out to me and said, hey, this is good. Like, you know, would you be interested in working together kind of thing? So it's a mixture of me being always on his radar for different legitimate reasons, plus me hustling and saying, I'm going to put out some content. And like, if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. But like the worst case scenario is I learn a bunch from it. So from that, we hopped on a phone call and, and kind of got into it. And I ended up working for him for three to four months. And kind of what I did was I helped, you know, do some research for different content ideas, whether it be threads for him or newsletters. And sometimes I would write some drafts. Overall, I just got like an inside look at his process and how great of a storyteller he is. And that kind of like, for me, the main lesson, there's a whole nother level of like someone's ability to tell a great story. And I was way below that level. So like just opening my eyes to the potential forced me to say with my own content, how can I improve? How can I be better? And I think that was the main unlock for me. And we're actually now with Hyper, we're trying a little bit of the same stuff. So I I sent an email to Ali Abdal. I don't know if you know him on YouTube, pretty big. I sent him an email. Hey, we got a thread for you. No strings attached. It's from based on this episode. Want to have it? He said, yeah, cool. Send it over. So I sent it over. It was yesterday. I haven't got a reply back yet, but he'll probably tweet it out. And actually, we created one for Sean as well. So I'm going to email him as well and see how he responds to that. So they can just copy and paste it. And, and you know, it's just to see how people respond, if they'll use it. And yeah, it's just a good way to, you know, bring a little bit more value to uh, what we do. Yeah. yeah, it's a good way to put yourself out there. I think for your business, especially, it's great. But also just like in general, like, if you're trying to get a job, if you're trying to meet someone or like network in some way, like providing some sort of value and saying like, here's a skill that I can do is super valuable. And I've done in terms of the last few months, after I stopped working for Sean, I did some ghostwriting work for some people around that this kind of skill that I've built in tweet threads. And I can dive into that a little bit without sharing too many details. But I think like 
understanding that if you put out enough content, like you're going to attract people to you. And that's kind of one of the main pillars of how I think about building a network as well, which is another topic we can talk about too. Yeah. One of the main things that jumped out early on was your thread about the billionaires you interviewed. That was one of the first threads I think that really jumped out or not. Yeah, definitely. That was a big one for me. So I'll give you actually a fun backstory that you and the listeners may be interested in as well. So I was at 2000 followers in like February, 2021. So this past year, like six months ago, and I set a goal. I have this kind of philosophy that I've been taught from my parents and some other people that it's like, set a goal so big, it'll blow your mind. It's like a cliche, but it's something that I like firmly believe in. And I set this goal when it was February 2021, that by April 1st, so two months, I was going to get to 10,000 followers. And I was at 2k at that point. So like, I'm an idiot, right? Like this is like, it took me eight months to get to 2000. You think you're going to go 5x in two months? Like who's this crazy kid that like thinks he knows what he's doing? So I literally put that out there and I like taped that to my wall. I'm like, I'm getting to 10K and nothing's going to stop me. And it was March like 25th and I was at like 4,000. So it was literally like primed and ready to fail, right? Like this is a great time to fail. And I had written a few like late that month, month of March that got me up to like 5,000 or so. I wrote one on James Clear and some habit stuff that I'd done. And it was April 9th, I think it was like a few a week after. So we get to April 1st, and I had not hit the goal. And I was like, shoot, like, I I didn't do it. You know, I learned a bunch, but I I failed. And then I had this idea, based on that Yale Entrepreneurial Society, Eli Speaker Series thing that I'd done, I was like, I've interviewed some really, really successful founders and investors who have built, you know, billion dollar companies, unicorns and stuff like that. So I'm like, why don't I just package this up? into a thread with a nice catchy opener. You know, I've interviewed five founders of billion dollar companies or billion dollar startups. Here's what I learned. And that one just took off out of nowhere. And that hit, you know, I think 30 some thousand likes. And I went from overnight 5,000 to 17,000 or so. And that, you know, I failed at my goal of hitting 10K by April 1st, but a week later I got it. So like, it's kind of like unlocking like, I still think like if I hadn't had that goal of 10K, I never would have written that thread and I never would have thought about it. But I was just thinking about like, how can I hit a home run? What's the potential there? And I landed on that thread and some of it's luck, you know, it took off, but it was great. So great. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Is that what it is? And then (laughs) funny. And so let's just go into a little bit of the specifics on how you build a thread, you know, the hook, the meat, the the ending, run us through that. Yeah, totally. So it kind of all starts with me in terms of a notion document. So I have this, it's called like tweet thread idea list or something like that. And I just have like any time I come across anything interesting on the internet, or in my own daily life or whatever, I will put that in there. So I have a list of 40, 50 ideas, and they could be absolutely terrible. Like it doesn't mean this is good. This is literally just anything that could be there. Like I just posted one today on Apple being like 90 days from bankruptcy and Steve Jobs coming back and taking over. And like that, I saw in a YouTube video or like three iterations away. And I just tossed that in there two weeks ago. And I decided to write it, you know, the other day and post it today. But it's literally just a master list. So that's how I start. Because I think the most, for like, at least me, the most intimidating thing is having no clue what you're going to write about. Because that's like, you show up and you're like, shoot, what do I write about? This is hard. And that like, you lose that activation energy that's necessary to like actually write something quality. So that's the first start is like, start with abundance and have a bunch of ideas that you're like collecting as you just go through life. 
So that's the first thing. So then when it comes to actually writing. Plus, and to go back on that, I think a lot of people, they sit down and at that moment, they're going to say, okay, I'm going to write something. But if you have a completely blank slate, if you have no starting point, no hooks, it's really, really hard. So it's really difficult. Yeah, totally. No, I feel that exactly. I've done that before as well. So yeah, the second kind of portion, and I took this from Sean, I learned this from Sean when I worked for him is write a first draft as fast as you possibly can. And it's going to be terrible. Like literally as fast as you humanly can, just keep your fingers typing on the keyboard. And it could be terrible in terms of the phrasing, in terms of like, it's not set in the right way. Yeah, that's what I try to do is I have this app, it's called like focused writing or something like that. And it's just like a 30 minute timer or 33 minutes where it's just like, write what the task you're going to do and do it. So it'll be like, write a draft of the Apple thread. And in that 33 minutes, I will write as fast as I can. Depending on the research and like the amount involved versus like my own personal experiences, it could take more or less. It could take an hour, you know, hour, 15, hour, 20 to write a draft. So it depends. But the first step is always write a really bad draft quickly and then get up, walk around, go somewhere else. You know, you can wait till the next day if you wanted to and then come back and edit it like ruthlessly. And when I talk about edit, it's like, does this actually make sense? Is this like the best possible way to phrase this? Is this interesting? Is this simple? You know, what's kind of the hook? What's the emotion that the audience might feel? That's another thing that Sean thinks about. What's the emotion the audience could feel? You know, why would someone even want to read this? Like, it's like kind of that so what test from Amazon. So I think about that. And then so I go ruthlessly edit it. And then, you know, I could let it sit for a day or whatever. And then I'll go and queue it up and post it. So that's kind of how I think about in terms of process. And recently, I've actually discovered a few new things that I think could be interesting for the audience that I think people don't actually think about at all. So when you're writing a thread that's a story, so what I'm talking about is Steve Jobs and Apple were 90 days from bankruptcy. Here's kind of the story of how Steve saved Apple. That's a story thread versus here's my experience with this. Here's 10 lessons I learned. That's very different. But when you're writing a story, present tense is super underrated on Twitter because a lot of times you're talking about something that happened in the past. For example, this Steve Jobs bankruptcy story was in the mid to late 90s. But when you make it in terms of you make it very specific and you make it present tense, that will allow the reader to be pulled into the story much easier. So the present tense thing is like, when you say like, Steve was going to hire this guy, John Scully from PepsiCo to be the CEO, it should be Steve hires John Scully. Like it's like a change and a shift. And it's easy to fall into that trap when you're writing in the past to just talk in the past. And then the other quick tip that I can mention is the specificity part. People love specific. No one wants to talk in generalities and like there's nothing to grab onto when you're talking in super generalities. So like when I'm writing a story about myself or, you know, writing a story about someone else, like I will literally try to make it as specific as possible to allow people to get like, feel like they're there at the time of the story. So those are a bunch of things that I think about and kind of how I frame the story. Yeah, it's almost like if people can use their imagination and can really be pulled into a thread, at least a story thread, it's really important. You know, I can see myself thinking about a book my girlfriend and I are reading right now, which is, you know, it, there's a lot of imagination involved and, you know, it's easy for us to read it because we get so sucked into the story. And that's a big part of keeping people in the thread, getting them to the end, and then probably asking them something in return. What do you do at the end of your threads? Yeah, for me, so I said earlier in the, in the conversation that monetization is not important to me. And I'm, I'm thinking about it a little bit differently in terms of building my network and meeting people and getting better at writing. So for me, like my call to action at the end is, and something that I've thought about, you know, 
shifting or changing recently. But the current call to action is like, if you like this thread, retweet it so more people can see or something that gives like a specific reason why they share it, which I think is pretty underrated. Like, you know, learning more about ruthless focus and, and how to do like X thing. So that's, you know, different. So like retweet this, so then I link the thread below. And then I, you know, follow me if you want more threads on framework systems and stories. And then I do have a, an email list with a few thousand people on it where I share my threads once a week in an email form. And I kind of just pick a thread from the past few weeks and share it there. So those are kind of my call to action and, and how people can get more of my work and stuff like that. And so you've done quite a few uh, threads over the last few months. What are some of the things that, you know, that were just, you know, call it duds or just that didn't fly or what have you seen that works versus doesn't work? I've thought a little bit more about this recently. I think timing is something that like originally I thought was important was like, oh, the time you post a thread is relevant. I then said, oh, it doesn't matter at all. Like good content wins. It doesn't matter when you post it. I've kind of changed more recently about that. I think ones that haven't done as well for me have been mostly posted at night Eastern Standard Time. So for you, if I posted 10 p.m., that's 4 a.m. in the Netherlands. So those don't do as well for me. And I think that might just be like, you know, where my audience is located. So something in the morning has seemed to do better, like a 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which would be three o'clock your time. So those have been better. So posting more towards the morning has been something I've shifted a little bit to as well. And I think having no point of a story is something that's like super, it makes sense. Oh, there should be a point of this story. But like my threads that have performed worst is there's like no lesson to learn and there's no like actionable thing that people can understand unless the story is literally like an inside scoop on Elon Musk, which everyone's going to read. Like having something that's like actionable that you can take and apply to your own life or learn from this or think more about or like change your perspective on, those seem to be the best. So when you stray away from that and you just like tell a cool story, those can just be, you know, they might not hit as well. But I think also it's a game of luck a little bit. It's kind of like, you know, who's reading it at the right time? How are they thinking it? You know, what headspace are they in? So I think part of it is like, even now, like divorcing myself from like the input and like the outcome, like just because a thread doesn't get 5,000 likes or 2,000 likes, like doesn't mean it's a failure. It just means like I get another data point and like, did I enjoy actually writing it? So I think that's something that I've changed my mind on in the past few weeks as I've had less time to create content is I need to actually enjoy the process or I'm never, never going to continue. Yeah, really important. And then you shoot up in follower count. And then all of a sudden, you mentioned people contact you, I guess, and say, hey, I want that as well. Can you write threads for me too? Yeah, so I've done a little bit of ghostwriting, nothing like extensive. I did like, you know, a month or two of it in between starting my new job. And the way I think about the ghostwriting is like, it's another thing, like, right, I'm not really optimizing for money. As I've said before, monetization is not very important to me right now. And I'm thinking about, do I want to build a relationship with this person or not? I've had a lot of people that have contacted me and be like, hey, can you ghostwrite or like, you know, can you help my social media strategy for my company? And it's flattering. Like, it's awesome that like some people will be interested in hiring me. But I've turned down a lot of those opportunities because I care about developing a relationship with that potential mentor or person. And if that person who I'm working for and providing value and actually giving good work, and that's what I care about first and foremost. So it's not about, you know, how many ghostwriting contracts or whatever can I do? It's can I take on projects that like I can actually crush and I know I can deliver and like deliver ahead of schedule and deliver value. Then with that, 
the person who I worked for will say, wow, you know, Chris is someone that I can definitely want to work with in the future or someone that I'd like to mentor, have a relationship with. And that's what I'm optimizing for. So the stuff that I've done, which hasn't been a ton, has been that focused. When did the first DM start to land asking you to, to write stuff? And how did you approach the process, you know, besides picking who you want to work for? In terms of timing of like the DM or like follower count or what do you... Yeah, what, follower count. And then how did you approach the writing? Because what kind of questions did you ask? How did you, you know, create the thread? How did that all go? Yeah. So I don't remember the exact timeline on like when DMs for potential opportunities started coming. It might have been around... 20,000 followers, 30, like in that kind of range. And that might've been when it started. But I think more importantly is like when I've decided to do it, I've been very formulaic about the process in which like I actually like produce the content. At the end of the day, like no one wants content that's like obviously hastily written and just like to get the job done. You want to approach this like, is this the best thread I've ever written? Or is this like up there with the quality that I'm, I can definitely produce? So when it comes to that, what I do at least have done in the small amount of experience that I have is I'll interview the person because I'm leveraging the experience that I've had interviewing a bunch of different founders and entrepreneurs and investors is that I'll say, okay, let's sit down. I'm going to consume all the content they've ever talked about. So if they've done interviews, I'm going to like listen, get take a bunch of notes on that and like understand different stories they've told that they probably haven't translated into threads. And then with that, which is very important, you need to do your research ahead of time. I'll jump on the phone with them or on a Zoom with them for an hour and I will literally just interview them for like, here are potential, like, you know, it's like sniffing out content, like here are potential stories that we can, I think we can talk more about, you know, what's the backstory there? You know, is there any more detail that you can share? Like that kind of stuff. And then once I do that, I feel like I have a bunch of like, here are really good like nuggets that I can expand on. And then it comes down to the writing phase. So that's how I thought about in terms of like research, due diligence and prep. So once I did that, it, it was able to flow a little bit easier. Nice. In terms of, you know, how do you decide what to ask for in compensation? How did you approach that? Yeah, I'm not really going to get into the details around that, but I would say the one way I approached it, and I think could be an applicable lesson across other things, is I thought about charging for the actual task. Like, what is the X dollars for the actual thread, not the time it takes me to write the thread? which I think is something that, you know, Jack Butcher and a lot of people talk about like divorcing your time and money is that just the time it takes, like, it's kind of like the phrase from Mozart. It's like the lady approaches him at the diner and she says, can you draw me something? And she, you know, he scribbles something on a napkin. He's like, that'll be $10,000 or whatever the, the insanely high cost is. And like, she's like, what? You took two seconds. He's like, that took me 20 years to like actually learn how to do that. So I think the lesson here the lesson is not that I'm Mozart, very far from it. So no one get that in their head at all. But I think the lesson that you can apply to my little world is that I am charging someone for the thread. And that price is something that like, you've only can if you have as many hours I've logged and the skill that I've built that I can charge. So like, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Some of them take, you know, 45 minutes, some of them take two, three hours. It doesn't really matter as long as it's the output you're delivering. So I think that's something that can be applicable to other people as well. And so right now you have like one foot in the corporate world and one foot, you know, I guess in the, in the Twitter world. What are your plans for the future? Yeah, so I'm really happy with my job. I'm learning a ton so far. Um, that's exciting. And, and I think I'm going to continue that. And I think the Twitter stuff for me is a hobby. It's a fun hobby that, that I like to, you know, do on the side. And just like someone likes watching Netflix or playing video games a little bit, like this is something that I do 
you know, a little bit on my own time. It's not super time intensive. It's a few hours a week of like something that I like doing and I like meeting people from that. And it's, it's a way to like, you know, build a network and meet people. And that's kind of the extent of which I think about it. So I'm not thinking about it, you know, any longer term than that in terms of it's clearly, you know, a small thing I do on the side, just like a hobby. And I'm having fun with it though. And so imagine you start over today, zero followers, new account. What would you do? What would your advice be for somebody who's in those shoes? Yeah, I have, this is a question I've been asked a lot by people in the DMs. And the most important thing that I can say, if you listen to anything in this podcast, the most important thing, find your allies and learn from people in your similar bracket of like follower count. So like if you have 150 followers, you should be like trying to meet people in a hundred to 500 follower range or whatever, like whatever the band is that are like similarly trying to like increase their account. They're trying to learn stuff. They're like trying different techniques to do that because that's the best way to learn. Cause like works at like 10,000 followers or 50,000 or hundred thousand or whatever your number is, isn't what works at a hundred followers or works at 10,000 followers might not what works at 500,000 followers, whatever. So like, you need to like be in the trenches with people that are in a similar bracket and like similar, you know, band of follower count as you and learn from them. What is, you know, what are you guys doing? How are you guys thinking about this? You know, has this worked? Why has this worked? How do you get inspiration for ideas? Like they don't have to be in the same niche as you or how, how you think about that. And like niches are something that everyone talks about. Like, you know, niche down in the beginning is something, but finding people that are like, Hey, you know, I put out a thread and it got one like too. like, it's okay. Like, you know, like, finding people to band together with and that kind of stuff is something that I wish I would have done a lot earlier because I didn't do that until much later. So I think that would have made the learning curve a little faster and, and helped me grow. Nice. And what do people need to do or like what's your approach to retweeting content? Yeah, I would say literally something that I've been thinking but haven't been able to articulate. That's kind of like a classic answer of like, if you say something that I'm just like, wow, I had no clue. Like, I would have had the seed in my mind, but I had no clue you could articulate it that easily and succinctly. That's something. And then like great threads that are just like telling great stories are something that I'm, you know, a sucker for because that's, you know, what I try to write a lot about. So yeah, those are a few elements that, that I think about with the retweet. Cool. That'll be lacrosse and billionaires for Chris. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> cool, man. Hey, Chris, this was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at Chris Alad, Chris, and then HLAD. It's pretty simple. I also have a, a newsletter that I mentioned that you guys can subscribe to. But yeah, hit me in the DMs if you listen to this conversation and, and want to talk about all things Twitter. You know, happy to happy to talk to people. Uh, but yeah, Yannick, thank you so much for having me. This is great. You're welcome, man. Thanks for being here. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week.